Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Colin Brister and I are back. Tis the season again. Our Sunday baseball conversations. Uh, Ole Miss takes three, all three games to sweep from Charleston Southern. So we get into a lot of that. What stood out from a pitching and a hitting standpoint? To be honest, we probably overanalyzed the hell out of it. But, you know, I'm excited college baseball is back. It was fun to uh, chop it up with Colin. Probably not going to learn a ton about this team after three games. But, hey, we gave it, uh, gave it our best shot for sure. So we uh, got into a lot of different stuff from the uh, pitching to uh, Tim Elko looking as good as advertised. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, I want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you saw the pod release late on Friday night, I had Skybox's NASCAR guru, Mark Harris, uh, on to explain NASCAR to me like I'm 40 years old, and then also go what goes into his handicapping process. They absolutely destroyed it on the Daytona 500 this weekend. Mark was at the Daytona 500, huge NASCAR uh, fan, and uh, has figured out a way to uh, consistently whip Vegas in it. So be sure to check that out. Hope you guys capitalized on their picks. Their NASCAR picks are free for the uh, first part of the month, and then toward the end of the month, somewhere around 1st of March, they're not really sure yet, they're going to put those behind the paywall. They just want to make sure the product's good with the equipment changes. Be sure to hop on that. It sounds really fun to uh, wager on NASCAR. I've never done it, but hey, you know, never say never. So check them out, and then they're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, no matter the sport, whether it's month-long, season-long. Yep, March Madness coming up. What could be better than a gift to someone else does here? Skybox is going to print you money during March Madness, so, you know, you don't go out to Vegas lose all your money, and then are uh, a bad time the rest of the time. Skybox is up, entered the year up 100 units, 105 units the last two years on college basketball. They're destroying it again this season. Year to date, they are up 73 units total. You need to go check them out. If you're into wagering, you're not going to profit in the long run off your own knowledge, just not the way it works. Skybox is going to consistently lead you to profit in a way that no one else can. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, Get 20% off any purchase. So, boom, free money for more free money. How about that? Skybox is the best. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. You guys know the drill at this point. Y'all know how wonderful LB's is. Go check out that Rippy Rights special. That's rippyrights.substack.com. Type in your email. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your weekend. I know some of you got the grilling itch out there uh, in Swayze this weekend. Weather's warming up a little bit. We're getting to that time of year. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Go uh, check out Capitalize That Rippy Right Special. Then go find your own favorite. So there's all kinds of different cuts, fresh seafood, crab stuff, mushrooms, all kinds of delicious sausages. It truly is the best place in the world to get meat. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. You need to go check them out. LB's University Avenue. And soon to be in the central Mississippi location uh, with the location opening up in Glugstadt. So we got that on the rise in the spring. Go check him out. Uh, it is truly the crown jewel of Mississippi. All right, here is Colin Brister on a, an eventful opening weekend for Ole Miss baseball. Let's just get right into it. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister, our first Sunday 
I used to call them megapods. This one probably won't qualify. We'll, uh, we'll wait for the uh, marathon pods till we get a little later in the year. But first Sunday show of the year, it feels good to be back. We have real baseball to talk about. Ole Miss wins all three games for a sweep of Charleston Southern. None of the games were particularly close or competitive. Ole Miss kind of blew the doors off of them. But um, even in kind of some non-competitive games, I felt like we learned a lot. But uh, we are back in this position again. It feels like we just left uh, – well, not we didn't leave Tucson, but Tucson was not that long ago. So I, I, where I sit, I sit in Section J, um, and today I think it was like the fifth inning. Uh, so I didn't get to go on Friday and Saturday, but I got got to go today. In the fifth inning, Kemp Alderman hit a ball right at the second base, like a little bit above the second baseman's head that I think he could have caught if he stuck the glove up, but he hit it so hard that the guy did not see the baseball. That was – it was one of the, the most impressive exit velocities I have ever seen in my life. So, uh, I think that just kind of embodies the three-game series from an offensive standpoint for Ole Miss this weekend. It's so funny you mentioned that because, one, you could pick that up on TV too. When he hit that ball, I was like, wow, that, uh, that had some juice on it because, what, he's hitting from the right side. So, that's actually technically opposite field. Yes. And I saw some people ragging on the local announcers – um, I thought they did a decent job. I'm firmly in the – unless they're just egregious, like anti-crap on announcer job because most people would put on a headset and wet themselves. But one <laughs> of the lines that I thought was great for the weekend from – I can't remember if it was the play-by-play guy, Seth Austin, who I actually think is really good. I didn't know the analyst. But I can't remember which one of them said it. He goes, you know, you don't see a ball get to the wall that doesn't get more than five feet off the ground very often. You had to have known that was hit pretty hard because that ricocheted off the wall – very quickly, and it never left about four feet off the ground. I thought that was a tremendous way to put that. That ball, it was hit 114 miles an hour. Like, I think somebody said only there were only 30 balls hit harder in the major leagues last year. Um, oh, wow. That's like, that. and, what, and what's crazy about that is that's coming from a guy that is not part of the, what, seven guys that Ole Miss had, had returning that are, that are mainstays in the lineup. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I didn't know that stat about the exit velocity. What I was going to come at you with was he homers to dead center on a day where the ball's not flying his next at bat, and I was still convinced the double was actually struck harder. Oh, it was. It absolutely was. The double was 114. That was, was 107. He didn't even get his legs into the home run, and he hit it 400-whatever freaking feet. To the batter's eye where the on the day where the, the wind was blowing in. So I saw you tweeted something about, like, uh, on Kevin Graham's home run, they put, like, the official data of it. You're like, blasphemy, that went 480 feet. And I actually, watching it, felt the same way because when he hit the ball, I was like, whoa, like, is this going to hit that 10 out there? I have some tent takes to throw at you later. But, <laughs> and then I realized, one, the ball wasn't, didn't seem that I was traveling well. And when you homer dead to right, that looked the exact opposite way of the wind was blowing. Like, the from the way the flag was angled and centered towards home plate, it looked like homering to right field. It was literally as – like as much into the wind as you could possibly get because there was another home run later that I thought was hit very hard and didn't get over by much. Oh, the, the Charleston Southern kid destroyed the ball and it didn't actually get over the fence by a ton. Oh, that ball was mash. Yeah. Both, both of those balls, Graham's and that kids were destroyed. It just felt like it was into the wind. Yeah, it probably was. Um, but yeah. Ole Miss can really, really, really hit. Um, breaking news. I know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that was as good as advertised. But look, like, you know, we joke about it. One of the notes I had written down here for kind of some different stuff to get into to where it's like, hey, if you're breaking down this weekend, like, 
I didn't feel like we learned a ton about the pitching. There's some stories we can get to in like we didn't learn nothing, but like overall, what this team will be as a pitching staff. I didn't feel like we learned a ton. But then on the flip side of that, like if you were checking a box, was the offense as good as like advertised? Absolutely was. And there were periods where I didn't think they were very good offensively. I didn't think they had a particularly good offensive day on Friday, just from a stringing together at bat standpoint and some of their approaches at the plate. And they still scored nine runs. I'm not saying they were bad, but they were just five or six at bats throughout the first four innings of the game where I was kind of like, eh, like this isn't great, but they're still scoring runs. Now, yeah, I remember there were, there a little bit, but I thought Charleston Southern played worse in the field Saturday. But like, I yeah. guess that just goes to show you the expectation we have for the offense is my point. Look, I, I know there's a lot of pressure on, you know, is, is Ole Miss going to make the College World Series? And, and we won't know that answer until June. But I can, I can make one guarantee on the season, Brian. Charleston Southern will not make the College World Series this year. Wow, Dude. I didn't know we were turning this podcast into first take just to Stephen A. Smith over here. Just for Char- such a Charleston to Southern will not be heading to the Med- Midwest in June um, unless they just want to go watch because uh, it's not a great baseball team. Uh, but, you know, look, almost did what they were supposed to do offensively, mashed. Um, outside of – and you're right, on Friday, uh, there were some unproductive at-bats in big situations – I remember there was a bases loaded situation or a guy on third and less than two outs, and uh, Ole Miss wasn't able to get him in. Um, but you know what? Kind of things, uh, you know, that, that don't come back to bite you when you're playing a team that you're infinitely more talented than. So, um, you know, you score what, 22, 31 runs? Is that right on the weekend? Um, hard, to, hard to complain too much about it. Um, step up in competition this week, uh, Arkansas State. Uh, on Tuesday for right now, I figure with the forecast, I don't have any intel on this. I figure that game gets moved to Wednesday. Uh, next week you'll play a better team in BCU that can really, really hit, um, or at least they could last year when they went to the regional at State. So the offense will have to show up next week for sure. Yeah, you're right. And to, to add some color to your point on Friday, I believe Chase had this note in one of his observation stories that you can check out on rebelgrub.com. On Friday, they were just five for 19 with runners on base and four for 14 with runners in scoring position. Look, it's nitpicking, but like when I got on the part on saying they didn't have a great offensive day on Friday and still scored nine runs, like I guess it was meant as like sort of like a, I don't even know if you could call that a backhanded compliment. I guess it's just like, hey, they didn't have a great day and I get Charleston Southern's not good, but hell, what? They still ended up with how many hits and produced nine runs? Let's see. On Friday, they had... Nine runs on seven hits. So, good God, they committed four errors. I didn't know yeah, defense was bad Friday. It was not great. I think Jacob Gonzalez had two of them. But I guess my point is, is like, like they're having a quote-unquote, you know, average-ish day at the plate. I mentioned the first four innings. Well, hell, they went one run, three runs, two runs, two runs to the first four innings. So, like, still, uh, still getting it done and uh, still hitting the ball for power and getting the ball out of the uh, ballpark as well. One thing I had on the Alderman thing uh, that you talked about, I'm kind of glad you led with that. Where on the double, if I'm not mistaken here, so look, Charleston Southern had some dudes to where that would come out of the bullpen to where you're like, all right, you know, Ole Miss is not going to see that very often in the SEC. Like that, it will be a bit of a step up. I believe the double came off one Caleb Hill, who is a real SEC caliber arm in terms of talent. That fastball was bumping 90 with a pretty good breaking ball. Like that was a real one of their real pitchers, and he destroyed the ball. And that's something he struggled to catch up to last year, right? He had some velocity issues. I'm not telling you Caleb Hill was throwing the ball 95 because he wasn't, but, like, that was a real – like, that was a – that ball was smoked off a real kind of SEC caliber arm. 
Yeah. Uh, the, the kid's got unreal power. Um, he's, he's got, you know, I mean, we, we've made the comp to, to chase Cockrell from a power standpoint, but it, it kind of seems a little bit more refined um, with, with Kemp coming out of high school. I don't know, man. He, I think he's going to be a guy that, that finds his way uh, into the everyday lineup. And here's another thing that, that I think will probably get glossed over some. I think he's a pretty good outfielder. Um, he he he's, he looks a lot more athletic than maybe he did last year. So I, I think he's going to play a pretty good right field for Ole Miss. And if that power translates and he's able to handle velocity, I, I feel like he's a guy that finds himself in the lineup every single day. Oh, I think you're right. I'm glad you hit that part of it because my first reaction, he, he tracked down a ball in right field. It may have been on Sunday, but I can't remember exactly which game it was. And – my first reaction, look, he wasn't – I mean, this was not a web gym. But I was like, wow, he moves pretty well. My first thought was, can this guy play linebacker? I actually had the same thought about Tim Elko. Could they, put the, could they play SEC linebacker? Because it's more of an athletic build. And obviously I'm joking, but, like, he's not a defensive liability. Like, I don't think – I think he's no. a very average-ish SEC outfielder. Do you remember in 17 when they put Dillard in left field because of his bat, because they had Cooper Johnson catching? And you just kind of knew throughout the whole year. And that team wasn't very good, but it was like, oh, Diller misplayed one where a guy had a single that probably looked more like a pop fly from anyone in the stadium or a double. It was kind right. of accepted. This is not that. He was not a, he's not going to be a defensive liability if they put him in the field, which is good. It gives Ole Miss more flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he came in to Ole Miss as a guy that I think they thought was going to pitch some. So he, he's upper 90s off the mound. So – Arm strength, obviously, not upper 90s. I shouldn't say that. Into the 90s. So, arm strength, obviously, uh, not an issue for him. And I think he can really run for, for a guy that, that's his size and has the power that he does. So, yeah, he's not going to be a defensive liability at all. Now, in saying that, um, you know, the, there's seven guys, right, that, that are going to play every day, leaves two spots open. If, if Alderman – here's the only way that I think he doesn't play right field and would be a DH is if, if Burford kind of wins that other spot, um, you're going to put him at third base and bench and center and McCants and right and have a really good outfield. And that just default puts, puts Alderman at DH. But no, if, if they're not, I guess what I'm trying to say is they're not worried about sticking uh, Alderman in right field. If, if they need to DH somebody else, it's like you said, it's not a defensive liability at all. Right, it's sort of like what we talked about in the preseason with the bench and Burford thing to where we talked about, you know, this team's most optimal defensive lineup would be exactly what you just outlined. If Burford can win that third base job, you get bench and center, put McCanson right and Graham and left. Like, that still holds true, I think, just because having McCanson right versus, um, you know, an alderman. But it's not, like, to the degree maybe we thought it was. Like, it's, it's not – a like that almost has less value because of how uh, how Alderman moved. Does that make sense? Like it's I guess the drop off is not as right. big as I thought it would be. Would be the best way to put that, which is inevitably a good thing for Ole Miss. Which you mentioned, there's a couple of these. Like you know, you've got X amount of guys and only can get eight in the lineup every day, or I guess nine with the DH to get at bats. I mean, Hayden Leatherwood homered on Saturday. He did nothing to disprove the fact that you know on a you know normal situation he should probably be an everyday guy and. That's a good problem to have because, you know, spoiler alert, they've already kind of hit on this a little bit. We'll get to the Dunhurst part of it. They're not going to be fully healthy the entire year. And having that is probably an advantage that I don't want to say no one else in the country has to talking out of my ass, but in terms of the quality of batters 
and uh, hitters that you have that aren't necessarily getting every day at bats, there can't be four teams in the country that have that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's to to me. It, and look, obviously, it's one weekend in, but I, I, I kind of said this before the year. It's the best offense in the country. Like I, I would, I'd be hard pressed for someone to say, "Hey, this offense is better." When you consider uh, what Arizona lost and, and that type of thing, I mean, it is. It it's it makes up for a whole lot of mistakes, um, you know, and and like so, making four errors and not letting an inferior team even hang around. Right. Here, here's the thing about this weekend. Who would you say offensively played the best for Ole Miss this weekend? Um, I mean, I can't even – I guess I can't answer that. I, I had a couple of things written down. I thought Elko was as, every bit as good as advertised. And then TJ yep. McCants, you look up every single game and it's like, oh, he did have two hits. Yeah, that's the one I was going to mention. It's like, this is how good they are to me. TJ McCants hit 444 this weekend with a 1,056 OPS, and, and like we haven't even mentioned him. Right. I mean, the, like, the kid had an absurd weekend, and it's just like, yeah, he 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 played. I mean, that's that's where we are with this offense right now. Dude, it's a great way to put it because, like, again, he like in McCants. I, I can't remember if we were on this last year. I swear, in the back of my mind somewhere, we had the McCants as like the most quietly productive guy at all time. I don't really understand it. But, like, I feel like that happened a couple of times last year as well. But to your point, it's even more evident this year to where it's like that's not a storyline that would stick out. But he had a ridiculous weekend at the plate. And, again, as we preface with everything, I probably should have said this at the top, everything should be viewed from the lens of this is three games. It's Charleston Southern. But, I mean, sure, we're in the content industry here, and they just gave us 27 innings of content. But I think it still stands. No, 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 they didn't. They gave us 24. Oh, that is true. That's true. I, credit to uh, – I, get, I don't even know if I want to say credit. Credit to Mac, I guess, for, like, being cool with the 10-run rule. Because, you know, th- I well, think that's the thing that has to be decided on before the game unless there's been a rule change that I don't so, know about. And some coaches well, are like, oh, no, we'll never give up. It's like, come on. So, here, here's – and I'm not calling it a conspiracy theory, but apparently on the game – on the radio before the game, Bianca was like, yeah, there's four guys in the bullpen. I've got to get in today. Um, so not really, yeah, apparently I, I didn't listen to it, but a buddy told me that he, he phrased it that McDaniel, even if he was great, wasn't going long because he's got four dudes that he could get into the game and they looked up and they put up uh, like seven runs, um, or eight runs and it was 11 to two in the sixth and Bianco started pinch hitting for guys like Gonzalez and Crab and Elko because he, by God, needed to get Brandon Johnson and Doherty into the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that at first. I never thought about it like that. Like, look, I, I started putting like all the freshmen in, and he's like, "I have got to get Doherty and Johnson as innings." And unfortunately for him, he didn't get Johnson in. I'm the biggest uh, MIS stand of all time, but I can't. I, that's an interesting way to look at it because I look. They were going to play different guys because they're blowing dudes out. But sure, Lapasser hitting in the six. I was like, "What? Like, wow, he's really cleared up the bitches." <laughs> And that actually kind of makes sense in a weird way to keep that thing at 11 to 2. I look, Mike thinks about things like that. And I love to rag on the guy and caught like, and, and kind of joke about his old fascist and simple mindedness. And like, there may be something to that. I'm, I'm just going to say, I don't know. I just thought it was Aaron funny. Wood, or whatever the kid's name is, the Wood kid's name is where I had to, the Wood kid came up to bat and I had to look at the roster. And that was only the sixth inning. Yeah, he was pinch hitting for Gonzo in the sixth. Yeah, I was like, okay, like, that actually makes sense because I actually thought about that for a brief second as I was, like, half asleep on my couch at that point laying down watching this thing. I was like, 
man, he is he is emptying really emptying it out, and like he's probably going to get one kids and I I didn't know we're on the team. Like the Kramer kid, I didn't I didn't know. I didn't know either, and I knew Garrett Wood. I'm sorry for yeah, slandering Garrett, Garrett Wood's family here. Is that his name? Is it Garrett Wood? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> I knew he was on the team just from various things, but like I had to go check. I was like, wait a minute, who who is this dude? Um, <laughs> and so maybe there's something to that. And you're right, he didn't get Brandon Johnson in, and you know Jack Doherty didn't pitch until the very end of the weekend, and we're kind of bouncing around here. But if you want to go to the pitching side of the second. Um, Ole Miss's I thought Ole Miss's known commodities on the mound, starters not included, which I guess that would only be Derek Diamond not included, were really good. Like Doherty would to me, Doherty looked like the best pitcher of the weekend. He was yeah, and it was Ooh. it's even it's almost harder to do that in the scenario Ooh. he was in. It's harder to come in and be like, all right, let's lock these dudes down when it's Charleston Southern and you're up eleven to two. And he was awesome. He was mid yeah. the breaking ball looked sharp, like he was he was as locked in as anyone I saw all weekend. He looked awesome. He he was really good, but I was a little bit more impressed by the kid from uh, JP. I know, yeah, know that Yeah, the kid, the kid throwing balls ninety four miles an hour that were sinking. Yeah, he he was really good. With like an eighty, I don't know if that's. I'm not smart enough to know if that's a curveball or a slider. It kind of <laughs> looks somewhere in the middle. Whatever he is throwing that hovered around eighty two. He flipped that sucker in the strike zone four times. And, like, one of the times, at least, he kind of, like, needed it in the at-bat. And that was pretty impressive. That was my – we were, I had a newcomer, like, standout thing, but it's not like we actually have any real show notes. I'm just leading you to, like, blind every uh, show here. We can just get to it now. The Maddie's kid was awesome. Um, and that's one of those – when he comes in in, like, the fifth inning, I think, in that yeah. game. And it's – I mean, from a content perspective and, like, looking at it as, like, us doing a show after, I was still, particularly when Ole Miss was pitching, I was still trying to stay in front of the TV and, like, be as locked in as possible. When they were hitting, I was like, okay, whatever. I can go, you know, maybe change over this laundry. But, like, I guess what I'm saying is it's easy to kind of lull yourself to sleep in a game like that. And then that's the kid that comes in and a couple fastballs hit 94 and you're like, wait, whoa, like, who who is this dude? And you kind of get that locked into it. He was great. And I believe – he threw 19 pitches. I believe 17 of those were strikes. Yeah, that'll play. That um, will play because that was not uh, that was not the uh, Gunnar Hoagland. He only walked one kid in high school. Is that a good thing? Those were like hard to make solid contact strikes. He didn't have any hard contact on him unless I missed something. No, I, I don't remember any. Yeah, he he was really really good. Um, I'll be honest, I did not watch the pitching past uh, Diamond on Friday simply because. Uh, we we had a playoff basketball game that night. Um, I, I, so Nichols and Parentau, I think, came in. I can't I can't really comment on them, but yeah, the rest of the bullpen was really good. I think Dylan Belushi gave up a run in his inning today, but I thought he looked good. Um, you know, so look, the 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 pitching's going to take a while to figure out. The good news for Ole Miss, I think, is that I think their best two arms. Um, and maybe I shouldn't say it like that. But I think they've got two really good arms in the bullpen right now with with Johnson and and Doherty that if in a pinch they needed to start, they could, Um, and and Washburn as well. So I think they've got options for all sorts of roles for different types of guys, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. I agree on the Delusia bit of it. And you you mentioned he gave up the run, but it's interesting. He – 
So that came off – the run basically came off the first pitch he threw. The kid slapped the double down the left field line. Yeah. And I'm not saying, like, whatever. Like, almost one – like, in my brain, I was like, okay, that almost doesn't, like, count in terms of me trying to, like, analyze this kid. Obviously, it counts. But, like, outside of that first pitch, I thought he was pretty sharp and looked good, too. Like, he doesn't have the cleanest line, but in terms of what I guess you had heard about what he was from, like, a stuff standpoint and kind of how he looked, uh, I guess, more eye test than actual box score stuff, I thought he was pretty good as well. I agree with you on that. And then, you know, you talk about another newcomer, another young kid, the guy in front of him, Hunter Elliott, Elliott. on immediate relief of McDaniel, was really, really good. Um. Yeah. In some respects, like so he didn't generate a ton of swings and misses, and he walked a guy. But you talk about a lack, kind of dodging hard contact. There weren't a ton of hard hit balls off of him either. I don't even think he actually allowed a hit. He only faced four batters. But look, man, I mean, he faced what one over the minimum, I guess, um, in one and a third innings. And I thought he was pretty good. And if we're trying to contextualize this for a big picture standpoint, you mentioned what Brandon Johnson and Jack Doherty. You felt comfortable about Ole Miss having two pretty good arms out of the bullpen. If Hunter Elliott and um, Riley Maddox look, you know, half as good as advertised in this tiny sample size this weekend, you're really going to have something from a bullpen standpoint. Yeah, yeah, man. Look, if if you can pair two arms to go with Doherty and Johnson in your bullpen, here's what that means to me. If 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 we look up in April and Johnson and Doherty are both anchoring your bullpen and you're able to find two guys like Maddox or like uh, Elliot or Delucha or um, yeah like like those guys to to get them the ball, here's what that means. Well, you you figured out your rotation because you didn't have to take Johnson or you didn't have to take Doherty out of the bullpen and put them in the rotation. If you don't have to do that, I think Ole Miss is going to be really good. I feel like. And, and maybe you'll disagree with me here. I feel like if you start inserting Doherty or you start inserting Johnson into your rotation, which I think they have the ability to start, don't get me wrong, but I think if you wind up having to do that, it tells me that you feel you feel like, you know, that, that that's your last stand. Like, you, you have to do – I think they'll try every other option before they do that, and if they wind up having to do that, it's just that guys didn't were not able to execute and get the job done. I do agree with that. And it's like, if you're talking about, like, I guess, weekend rotation reserves, there is one reserve waiting in the wing that I've been on the gut camp of, this guy's going to be in the weekend rotation anyway. We can get to that in a second when it's all said and done with. You can burn the Jack Washburn reserve card, but when you get past that, you're risking weakening potentially the bullpen if kind of everything goes how we think it'll go. So I do agree in that standpoint. And look, it's – Again, it's Charleston Southern. Like, they're going to face much better hitters. But out of this small sample size, I guess if there's someone out there thinking, like, how can you tell? Like, how do you think this was actually any good and how this could translate? To me, the one thing that stood out was how many strikes a couple the newcomers threw. Riley Maddox threw 17 of 19 strikes. I think – I can't remember how many pitches um, Hunter Elliott threw – but he threw a ton of strikes. And them consistently finding the zone and avoiding hard contact, I thought were really good. Dylan DeLucia threw a lot of strikes, too. Honestly, the main dude that we can get to this in a second that didn't throw a ton of strikes was Drew McDaniel. But, like, if you're, if you're looking for some, a sign that will translate to better competition, they were in the zone a lot and still effective. Yeah, I um, think that's a really good point um, because, you know, obviously it's it's going to be a little different when you play better competition, but strikes are strikes, right? Um, 
I'll ask you this, and 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 I and, and I'm because I'm curious about your honest opinion here. What do you make? And I know this has been a little bit of a punchline for us at times. What do you make that Josh Mallett's Wes Burton and Jackson Kimbrell did not get into the games this weekend? That's a very I'm glad you went there. So I could be making too much of this. And and I want to I want to premise it with this. They lost three innings uh, of pitching this weekend because because of run rules. So uh, uh, that needs to be premised, but go ahead. This could potentially be seen as reading too much into this, but I actually thought about that as we got toward the end of the game and he brought Doherty in versus somebody else. And because, like, look, I know he wants to get Doherty an inning, but, like, Brandon Johnson didn't come in. Like, if it was a dire need that both of those guys, you right. know, they have needed to get in, he'd have found a damn way to do it, right? So. Sure. I guess that tells me a couple of things. One, that they lost some innings. And, look, a first weekend when you beat the hell out of someone, the opposing – the coach that won all the games is never going to get in all the dudes that he wants to get in to look right. at. But that also tells me that these younger guys might be end up being better options. And I know that's going to sound like some sort of sweeping assumption, and I don't mean to make that off of three games. But I guess what I'm getting at is this. What was Ole Miss's problem last year outside of losing, you know, a pretty good dude in Gunnar Hoagland? There was no bridge. They were Broadway, right? Yeah, there was no bridge besides Doherty. Right. Well, the dudes that were options last year to be that bridge, and hell, Doherty's a decent example because the guy wasn't even on the travel roster. They had to go beyond the travel roster last year to find options. That's how bad he was scrambling. Brendan Johnson was on the travel roster. Remember, we were on this last year. We kept, as they were struggling in the bullpen, we're like, hey, why does that kid that was throwing in the 90s in Arlington, why, why, why is Mike not allowing this guy to pitch? Yeah. Like, like, at least get him an option at this point. So Mike had to burn through a lot of different alternatives and like go different routes to find nights that could get outs last year. Well, the dudes that faltered, the West Burtons of the world, who's okay in spots, but I think he struggled to throw some strikes. Um, Josh Mallets, who just didn't really have it, and you know whom else? Those guys are still there, and so Jackson Kimball was the was Jackson the other Kimbrell one. Was another one. Those guys are still there, and they're still available. And maybe we're reading too much into it. Of uh, uh, after one week, I guess what I'm getting at is I don't think it's completely insignificant that he went with the younger guys and the newcomers over those three because it kind of falls in line with how some of them performed and what you heard about some of them throughout the fall and spring. Like, did you hear a ton of Wes Burton buzz? Did you hear a ton of Josh Mallets has made a leap? Did you hear anything really a ton about – I mean, I heard a little bit of Jackson Kimbrell kind of evolving a bit, but you didn't hear a ton about them. You heard about the newcomers. And so I think there's a decent possibility that Ole Miss found some better options. Would Riley, this version of Riley Maddox, as we know it right now, have pitched – throughout April and last year's conference play? Hell yeah, he would. They didn't have that. I think Hunter yeah. Elliott would, partly because he's left-handed and, you know, to this point has thrown strikes. So, again, that's a long-winded way of saying is I think that's something to monitor because there's a, be- there's a better chance than not that they rectified the problem they had last year with new people. I'm going to tell you this. If, if this team is good in the bullpen, they're a top-five team in the country. I expect them to be ranked third probably tomorrow. Um, I, man, if if they can figure out a way to be good in the bullpen, I just – I don't know what the weakness is for this team. Because, look, I know offenses go through slumps, but 
here's the thing about slumps, man. Slumps are usually not team-wide. Like, if you tell me, hey, Kevin Graham, Tim Elko, and TJ McCants and Gonzo had a bad weekend, okay, but you still got to get Peyton Chatney, Justin Bench, Kemp Alderman, Hayden Leatherwood out. You know, so if if this team is good in the bullpen, um, man, it's it's really scary how good they could be in, in the regular season. Yeah, and I, it's a great point. And I guess I was trying to look through one of the box scores, and I think it was today's, to, to back up what I was saying a little bit too. So – you know, when it's – you think, well, they won 12-2, to 11-1-9-3. Like, of course, that situation is maybe more conducive to throw some guys that you hadn't seen yet. Well, he went to Hunter Elliott today. It was still a 2-1 to one game. I don't think it Mike was. was overly concerned about losing the game to Charles. He butted. But, yeah, he – because Caleb Hill came in and kind of showed something for a second and was like, oh, man, like, if this kid goes four innings and Ole Miss can't hit him, like, you might be in – a dog fight's a strong way to, to put it, but you might actually have a game. Like, he bunted for a run in the bottom of the fourth for a little bit of cushion, but he had gone to Elliott before that. He went to Hunter Elliott in a two-to-one game. You mentioned yep. it was because they had to get to a bunch of guys. I think that's true, too, but, like, I guess if he did not trust Hunter Elliott, would you not go with Wes Burton in a two-to-one game that you could still, you know, lose technically? Well, that or, I mean, if you didn't trust Hunter Elliott, you could, you could go to Doherty there. Um, so yeah, he, he obviously does trust the kid, and uh, the kid showed showed why he did because um, he was really really good today. And on top of it, in one of those two to one games, we saw this get weird last year. Whether it was midweek games or a little bit in the non conference, particularly toward the end, if it's two to one, and Jackson Kimbrell comes in and walks three dudes, and then some guy for Charleston Southern runs into a fastball, and all of a sudden it's like five two or four two. I would still feel pretty good about Ole Miss's chances. Like, if, if there's such thing as a live line in college baseball, Ole Miss is probably still minus something to win the game. But you're still in a hole, and you're still going to have to make that back up with Caleb Hill, who Mike knows his capabilities on the mound. I guess what I'm getting at is, like, you know, if he was really worried about it to the point to where he bunted to kind of get a bit of an insurance run, you're right. He could have brought in Doherty. Or he could have brought in a West Burden. But, you know, he, he did not He went with Hunter Elliott. No, I – yeah. It's – uh. I think I think Mike's got some confidence in these younger kids, um, and and I think that's that's the reason that we mentioned that the, the three older guys probably didn't get innings. I'm interested to see how that plays out over the next few weeks. Um, I do think they'll get opportunities, um, but you want to get those new guys out there and get them in front of that crowd and, and see how they perform. And I, I thought pretty much everyone, and they'll look. Obviously, the competition was what it was, but. Thought everyone pretty much threw the ball well. Um, you know, Elliot was into the 90s with his fastball, uh, and Riley Maddox obviously was bumping 94, 95. Delucia hit a 93. Um, so they've got options back there, and, and you're, it's it's Mike's job to figure out how to use them and, and what they can do. Um, but it's, it was a good start this weekend, really good start, and and we'll see. We'll see going forward. I, I thought uh, I thought Mike managed it about as well as he possibly could considering you know what you're dealing with on the other side and them you know obviously not making games competitive is there one guy that's a newcomer this can include the juco guys or any transfer that being washburn as well if after one weekend i was just like gun to your head actually let's throw washburn out of it because i think we both feel pretty confident that's gonna have a major role in this one of these newcomers if i was like gun to your head who in april is having a huge role for this team as a pitcher. Is there one guy that you would go with? Because to me, so far, uh, the tiny sample size, the answer is easy. 
Uh, I'll go with Hunter Elliott because he's left-handed. I mean, if I had to pick, I would pick him just because he's left-handed. And Ole Miss doesn't have a plethora of left-handed options. But uh, if I'm honest, I think both guys, I think both Braden Jones and him have, have big roles for this team. Brian, here's something that, that I don't want to go uh, un, without mention. Um, this team struggled at times last year to get teams like Arkansas State out. They give up 12 runs. It was going to win. They gave up 12 runs to Arkansas State in the midweek. Um, they lost a game to UT Martin in the midweek because they gave up nine runs. Um, this team at times struggled to get bad teams out. And and to their everlasting credit, that, that was not the case this weekend, um, even with, you know, some, some bullpen guys that would obviously be uh, used in the midweek. I'm not talking about Derek Diamond and Drew McDaniel and John Gaddis. I know those aren't midweek arms. Um, but, like, you talk about a Mitch Morrell. Um, you talk about Parentau and Braden Jones and Hunter Elliott. Those are young guys that, that um, are just getting their first experience with, with D1 baseball, or maybe not Morrell, but the other guys. Um, and, and they were able to get what is probably a bad baseball team. They were able to get them out on a consistent basis, something that Ole Miss did not do last year at times. You're right. And it's a good point. My answer, so I think the one alternative that you hit was Hunter Elliott. Mine so far would be Riley Maddox because I don't care who's up against the plate. If you throw 17 and 19 pitches for strikes and your fastball hits 95 and whatever that breaking ball is you're throwing that's in the strike zone, that'll play if it's Dylan Cruz or some Juco kid that McMillan pulled to come play for Charleston Southern. That'll play anywhere. Whether that's sustainable, I guess we shall see. But that, that plays no matter who is the hitter, uh, you know, Name any hitter in the SEC or the country included. That will play. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, Adam, yeah. Uh, the, the, your non-conference point, though. I mean, they gave up. They remember they had a three-game series last year against ULM, and they lost the finale because they gave up eight runs because they couldn't get anyone out early. You mentioned the yeah. the UT Martin game. They gave up a bunch of runs. Like, uh, I think there was. I mean, Arkansas Little Rock scored six runs on him. How many times did you look up last year? And I'm mostly talking to the like a, the fan out there listening on a Tuesday game. Maybe you got off work, weren't totally locked into the first couple innings. You're like, wait a minute, they're down six two. How? Well, you know, five walks in the first two innings, and they're on their third pitcher in the fourth inning. I don't think they're going to have as much of an issue with that against bad opponents, which might be a decent indicator of progress they've made in terms of arm depth, is it not? If you're getting bad teams out like you're supposed to, that's progress because they didn't do it at times last year. Yeah, no, so here's the thing, too. Um, you're absolutely right, and let's keep it real. Last year in the midweek, there was no Mississippi State. There was no Southern Miss. There was no Southeastern Louisiana. They played a bunch of bad midweek teams this year. You'll have to be pretty competitive on the midweek. You're going to have to be able to have some guys get some folks out. Because, um, like I said, you're playing Southern twice. You're playing Mississippi State. You're playing Southeastern Louisiana. You're playing Southeast Missouri State. Um, so, not not just, you know, um, you got 14 midweek games, and I just named five games against teams that can beat you if you don't show up. So, they're going to have to have guys that are able to get out from the, on the midweek if they want to they get, uh, you know, be one of those national seeds at the end. Because I feel like – you know, when you look up at the end of the year, uh, if you're if you're on that like eight to ten line and you're not a national seed, it's the games that you lost in the midweek that kind of screw you. Yep, and there's you're exactly right on that. There was the um the nineteen team ran into some of those issues. Remember, I mean, yeah. I, how many times I've made the, the I, there should be a statue of the North Alabama revenge game. I spent two years waiting in the wings for that, 
Um, but they lost that game, and that was a problem for that 19 team. And even games that, like, didn't show up in the box score, I don't know how I remember this off the top of my head, but I just confirmed it with the box score. They had an early midweek game against Memphis last year. They won the game 16-4, to so you're like, oh, they blew them out. Well, they gave up four runs in the first three innings. They gave up a two-spot yeah. in the first and a, uh, another one in the second. I think McDaniel in that game didn't even last an inning, so they struggled to do that. And then to your point where they're going to have better, I guess, team play better competition this year in the midweek, like – to me, one of the bigger things, too, was remember they were supposed to have a two-game series against Louisiana Tech last year who ended up – didn't allow Tech end up hosting? They were good. They did. They that did. Was a good team. That was very offensive. Yeah. Well, the second game didn't get played. Do you remember what happened in that first one? They, they scored 13 runs. Yeah, 13 to 1. And, yeah. you know, winning that game is not necessarily helping Ole Miss's resume from that standpoint, but, like – if Ole Miss gets into a March game with Southern Miss or something and the bullpen – Ole Miss wins a 5-2 game because, you know, the starter and then the bullpen were pretty good, I think that's as good an indicator as better depth in terms of pitching than you have because you think, well, you know, they lost to a regional host. Well, Ole Miss was still using midweek arms in that Tuesday Law Tech game. Yeah. That yeah, couldn't I mean, get people out. Yeah, I think Mallet started that game, and I think they gave up no crap, like four doubles in a row to start the game. Well, I and guess it, that's what prepared him for that moment in Starkville. Oh, God help me. Um, but, yeah, it uh, – yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's that simple. They have to be better on the midweek this year. If they're not, they're going to run into a really offensive Southern Miss team and, and a state team that, while they struggled this weekend, is, is going to be Mississippi State. They're going to be really good. Um, and you would like to win those games. It, it helps your resume. It helps your RPI. And, you know, I'll be completely honest with you here, Brian. Um, we look at this We look at this four-weekend sample. Um, I don't know if I see really good competition in the non-conference that they're about to play. There's, there's no trip to Dallas. We're going to play three really good teams. So you're going to need to win some of these what are scheduled as non-conference games um, to, to really help your non-conference RPI and non-conference strength of schedule. Um, because otherwise, I don't. I don't know if I see a regional team um, in the in the first four weekends. Yep, you're right. I mean, the closest thing they're going to have to that is, and I'd be completely blowing smoke up the listener's ass if I told sure. you he's very locked in on what UCF is going to be this year or what they are. But that's a good-ish program, and on paper, you figured that would be their best test. Although, didn't VCU have like they a- did make a regional, but I think they lost a good bit. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And like they had, like, I remember that was a team that had kind of like they had a legit RPI. We were like, okay, this is a sure, they were good. I don't know what they will be this year, but your point still stands. There is no ranked showcase. Um, like, it reminds me a couple of years ago, I think Ole Miss intended for Long Beach to be that. You know, no one can blame anyone that they caught no, Long they Beach and they were terrible, but usually there's some sort of test scheduled in, and you don't have that this year. And I think, you know, there's probably a million reasons why that ended up being the case. But you're right, which leads me to my next point because I wanted to get to the starting pitching a little bit. I thought Diamond was pretty good. I thought sure. Gaddis was good. I thought McDaniel was eh. So I just – I don't even know if those were all words. I guess good is a word. Eh is definitely not a word. But that leads me to the point that I'm getting with – not only with the, uh, the starting pitching but this entire staff – I'm just not sure we are going to learn a ton until we get against until we get kind of further into SEC play or into SEC play against better competition. I think that's where the rubber will meet the proverbial road with this pitching staff because 
you know, we prefaced everything with Charleston Southern. I feel like everything with this pitching staff might have to have a little bit of a preface when being discussed is, okay, like I'd like to see it in SEC play, I guess is what I'm getting at because sure. there's no early test. All right, here, here's the theory I concocted in my head, and I don't know if Mike thinks this far in advance. I know he's got a lot more on a daily basis to deal with than I do. Um, here's something I thought about when, when I saw Drew McDaniel starting on Sundays. Do you think that he thinks, maybe, his offense is so good that if he can just have somebody keep them in the game on Sunday, that he can use a, a, a Washburn and a Gat or a Washburn and a Doherty and, and a Johnson in relief? Like, even if Drew McDaniel can just be okay against Sunday pitching, they're probably still going to be okay. And then you, you, you are able to add another bullpen piece, maybe a, a really power arm, um, and Washburn to the bullpen. Um, I don't know. I just, that, that thought crossed my mind when I saw him, him announced as a starter on, on Sunday. I don't think it's a terrible thought at all. And a high compliment there, but like, no, I, I, I guess I kind of, uh, like I, I could agree. I could see that line of thinking because, you know, I, when Washburn pitched the one inning on Friday, I was texting chase and I was being a little bit of a smart ass because what, what small sample size, right? One inning. But, like, Washburn looked really sharp in that breaking Do you ball. know who he reminded me of? Who? The guy that closed games last year. Ooh. I hadn't thought about it from that lens. I can kind of see it, though. That that breaking ball, the the, the power the breaking ball, and yeah, it, it really looked like the guy that closed games last year. That's kind of that's what made me think about that. And the, to, on top of that, the way he throws, throws – I don't know if that's a curveball or a slider. Again, I'm not that smart. There was a little bit – Doug had that. Doug had a much better version of it. But the one that kind of you know it's coming, and then the la- – I don't know. It felt like the last 10 feet before it got to the plate, that shit moved like 12 feet. Like that, I don't, it looks like a little bit like Doug in that sense too from an off-speed standpoint as well. But um, like – so, but back to your point, that's, a, that's an interesting way to look at it because I was texting Chase and I was being a smartass and I was like, we're supposed to believe this guy, McDaniel beat out this guy, this guy's better. But that might be a better way to look at it. If they're just okay on Sunday and can stay in games, then maybe Washburn is a more valuable asset out of the bullpen or hell, if you go through two regional games or you get in, God forbid you get into a loser's bracket or oh, something. God. I guess that's, I talked about this so much last year. You're going to need a fourth starter at one point. Sure. That's a hell of an option. And you're choosing between him and Doherty because you, know, yeah. you might get to the, whatever, when push comes to shove, you might just go, all right, we're going to ride Jack for four or five innings. You know, when your ass is on the line in June, basically what you saw in game four of the Southern or not game four, Ole Miss's fourth game of the Southern Michigan. Yeah. Game. But you're going to need it. So maybe he's a more valuable asset at that point. Look, if McDaniel is good enough, like you mentioned on Sundays, I mean, say Diamond gives you five on a Friday. That's not particularly what you're expecting from a Friday starter. But what if Washburn's the guy that gets you to the ninth? You get three innings out of him on a Friday or a Saturday in relief of him and Gaddis. To me, you know, again, this is contingent on McDaniel being okay. That's a really, really huge asset if he continues to pitch well and kind of looks like the guy he looked like this weekend. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, um, which probably makes them hesitant to think about using Brandon Johnson as a starter. Um, he's a guy that supposedly um, – I've heard this a few places uh, – his arm's pretty resilient. If you remember the SEC tournament, he threw on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday all multi-inning appearances. Um, so he's a guy that doesn't struggle to, to go more than once a weekend. 
Um, so Ole Miss has got some options back there. I just, I just kind of wondered that about Washburn. He, he was a guy that was used in the bullpen at Oregon State a lot. Um, can, can really, really throw the crap out of it. I don't know. I'm interested that if, if there's one storyline that inter- interests me the most um, going into SEC play, it's, it's how they kind of use him. Now, in saying that, I fully, I, I I shouldn't say fully. I expect him to start against Arkansas State on a game in a game that I think gets moved to Wednesday. Um, I do expect him to be the starter in that game, but we'll see. If he's not the starter in that game, I think that probably gives a little bit more credence to, to what they're wanting to do. But, again, I, I do think he probably takes the ball to begin that game. I think so, too, because I think that's why he pitched one inning and they got it out of the right. way Friday. But, I mean, it's still, the point still stands. And I think there's something, too, to what you're talking about with Johnson because when we talked on Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken, you brought up the point, well, you know, they extended him for four innings, five innings-ish, like a couple of times in some of the inner squads. I don't think that's by accident. Call that a little bit of an educated guess. Right. If we're talking about things struggling in the uh, in the rotation and the nuclear option that weakens your bullpen, don't you think it's actually probably Johnson over Doherty? I, I, for whatever reason, if you made me guess, like, hey, yeah. McDaniel stinks, Gaddis is not getting it done, or maybe it's Diamond. I'm not saying either of those will happen or I think they're going to happen, but if you're like, we need a stopper, we need someone to be better in the rotation and give us six innings, they might give Johnson the nod and then just figure the rest out. Yeah, probably so. I think. Yeah, I think that's I think that's more than fair. Um, yeah, so I don't know. The, the good news for Ole Miss is is they've got options and they've got time to figure it out. And and thankfully for them, um, they've got an elite offense that can can give them uh, some time and mask some issues if they have them on the pitching staff. It's a it's a benefit of having a really good offense. Here's the thing too um, that this offense does: it gives you a chance to where you're not having to trial everything by fire. It gives you a chance to, in, in May, maybe you're good on the mound, not just average, not just, you know, mediocre, which I think if this team is average to, to decent, they're going to be really good. It gives the, – the offense gives them a chance to maybe even be good on the mound because it gives you more time to figure out roles um, and gives you more time to get guys into games and see how they perform. Yep, you're exactly right in that sense. Let's quickly go through a couple of the uh... – a couple of the starting pitching part of it. Um, you said you mentioned you watched Diamond before you had to go to work on Friday. I thought he was pretty good. Um, yeah, he's he didn't fine. show yeah. a ton of the off-speed stuff. It was very fastball heavy. I, from what I noticed and what I had written down, it was 93-ish kind of in the first inning, then 91 in the second and third. And then a little later in the game, it was a couple 89, 88, but was around 90, I guess, if you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that's necessarily like concerning. It's not conducive pitching, like pitching conditions, right? It's cold as hell. I'm probably making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, it did drop off a little bit, but if he's going to be a guy that kind of lives around 90 and slightly below, kind of some of that spin rate and off-speed stuff is going to be more important and, or much more important. And we didn't see a ton, but, like, I thought Diamond was good, but it's one of those things where my like if I'm gonna have I I couldn't do a ten minute diamond open to this podcast if I wanted to. It very much like I can I see three more starts is kinda how I felt. <laughs> no, it's fair. Um and and look, that's the reality of the situation when you uh saw what you saw from Diamond last year. You just you're gonna have to see it uh over over the course of the season and hope it works out. Um I thought he was good. Thought he competed, you know, he had the bad inning and he that he bounces back from. Um and, and necessarily wasn't even really bad. It just, you know, they found some holes. Um, no, I thought Diamond was good. 
So uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, I think he's going to face a step up in competition next weekend, and, and we'll see what that looks like. Gaddis, that is about what I okay. figured. He was, he was on a tight – yeah, he was on a – I mean, he was on a tight uh, leash. Mike, I think, gave the local media there a nugget that he had missed a week of spring. Not a big deal, but like, hey, we're going to go 75 pitches with the other two guys on a 90-pitch thing. But he was okay. He works very fast. Um, fastball pretty effective. He looked to me like an older dude with kind of, I don't want to say like funky arm slot, but I think one of the way he pitches kind of makes him effective. It's a little bit harder to pick up and gets dudes out. And again, I see four more of these, but I thought he was okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's, it's so hard with the competition, but no, I mean, I, you know, the, the prevailing thought coming through inner squads and that type thing was he was a guy that was really hard to barrel up. Um, and, and that kind of, proved to be true on Saturday we'll we'll see if uh that's the case as, as we go forward for sure but um induced a lot of weak contact uh obviously not overpowering by any stretch of the imagination but you don't always have to be um you just got to play good defense behind guys like that and to Ole Miss's credit they played a lot better defense on Saturday than they did on Friday night they did the one thing if you're making me like if I'm putting good and bad category, Drew McDaniel, I thought was fine, was okay. But Chase had a note. I was just reading this right before we recorded in the Sunday story. Only 33 out of 60 pitches for strikes. He got a little loose. He got away with a couple of things where I thought a couple of the hitters helped him out. Again, talk to me when it comes to SEC play. I still have my doubts that he is effective enough to be a reliable Sunday option in the SEC. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not basing that just off that start. But – when you talk about some of the issues he faced last year, it's one finding the zone, staying in the zone, and not being predictable. I was I didn't see anything that was like, oh, this guy looks different than he did a year ago. I guess we'd be yeah. encapsulated. Um, struggled to get ahead of hitters. Struggled to throw the breaking ball into the strike zone. Um, competed, but but um, you know I, I, I'm kind of with you. you. You didn't see anything that said, oh, he's he's better at this this year. That's that means he's going to be better on Sunday. So um, you know, I, obviously. I mean, the, the box score is going to say that he pitched well, and I thought he did some good things. But, you know, you, you're going to – you'll get to find out next week. And I expect Ole Miss will try out the same rotation and we'll get to see against a, a little bit better competition. I do want to tell you that uh, on Twitter I'm, I'm currently seeing an Arkansas player dance on first base after after getting a hit. Should we call the police? Because um, I don't know if you know this, that is illegal in the state of Arkansas. I'm glad you went there. We uh no so he's dancing. Has he been arrested? Is is he <laughs> is he does he need bail money? Because that is disgusting. I don't even want to look at it. There should be some sort of warning. I hope they blur out most of the uh, dancing and enjoyment. If he smiled, they better have his face covered. <laughs> you know what? You know you know when they didn't have a lot of fun <laughs> on Friday when they on lost. Friday night as Illinois State kicked their ass. Um, that was funny. But if there's such thing as poetic justice in this world, when you go on the old <laughs> man, let's just do the Van Horn thing now. To hell with it. Sure, sure, sure. I got some great content enjoyment out of that. I had the Arkansas hide. Those people are nuts. So first off, really you have hate. the most obnoxious fan base uh, behind you, and you want to tell other people not to to talk a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, look, I, I'm very much in the pro. Twitter is not real life, but if you're talking internet fan bases, the Arkansas baseball people are absolutely nuts. And they were out in full force when I made fun of Dave Van Horn talking about how there's no place in the game for shenanigans, like, you know, shit talking or, you know, having fun as he's wearing a, a fucking hoodie with a cartoon pig holding a baseball bat. This man's 61 years old in baseball. Do you know what my favorite part about a cartoon pig talking about how there's no place for shenanigans in his game. 
Do you know what my favorite part about that was? When he mentioned Kevin O'Sullivan is the guy that does it right. <laughs> yeah, does anyone look? I don't know how salacious we're allowed to get on this podcast. Does anyone remember some of the smoke going around Mr. O'Sullivan last year and why he might lose his job and What's, not necessarily for on field performance? Do you Kevin remember? Because I do. Kevin O'Sullivan, bastion of human decency and morals. Um, I I mean, look, everyone dunked on it as they rightly should. I don't have some nuance to take on this, but my God, I found that silly. Like, come on, man. That's what, if you want somewhat something serious to come out of this, isn't that part of what makes college baseball awesome? It, the urgency and the quirkiness of it is something that you can't get in professional ball. I'm not about to argue that college baseball is better than MLB. That's when you get into quality of product and stuff, and it's just not comparable. But in terms of just entertainment value, where they can supplement it, it's the fact that it's a 56-game season, and your May game in Starkville for Ole Miss matters because it might cost you from being a national seed and that type of stuff. And dudes chirping and having fun and stuff like that and the the Zach uh, Phillips Ninja Turtle thing that's – look, the dugout celebration is not necessarily my cup of tea. I don't, like, look at that and be like, oh, this is awesome, this is funny. But clearly they enjoy it. They're having fun. That to me is what makes college baseball awesome. And then you got some guy, again, with a cartoon pig on his chest being like, we just play the game here. It's like, come on. Dude. Oh, but, but you forgot the part where uh, he said sometimes he turns his head. That's, 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 he contradicted himself in two minutes. He's like, yeah, we don't like that. But sometimes I tell them to do it because I'm fed up with the other team not doing it. Like, what? <laughs> you hypocrite. Yeah, like, what are you talking about? I wrote this in the Friday newsletter. I remember we did a podcast from the parking lot of my hotel, or I, I was in the parking lot of my hotel for the Super Regional. About 30 minutes after we got done doing the pre-podcast, or maybe it was the next day, I walked in for game three. Outside of Arkansas Stadium, there was a metal cage with a large pig just eating and pooping in hay. I'm sure he looked like he was enjoying himself as much as a caged animal could. And people are walking up and taking pictures of it. And, like, if you dropped an alien out there, you would think they're about to, like, sacrifice said pig to feed the village for a month. Like, that to me seems like shenanigans. And he has that going on outside of his stadium before the most important game of the year. But God forbid someone talk to the other dugout. I'm sorry. I, 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 I vividly or vehemently dislike Arkansas baseball. So I'm, I'm not one to, to, to be able to give a, a non-biased take here. But, uh, Pretty good weekend for my take is you're uh, you're a dork talking Van Horn like you're such a stick in the mud. And honestly, someone I asked one a guy one time like who Mike was close friends with, and someone mentioned Van Horn, and I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good weekend for uh for Rebel fans if if you know they don't like certain teams, maybe like you know Mississippi State or Vanderbilt or Arkansas. Um, so I did enjoy uh, a lot that Vanderbilt lost their their series to begin the year. They're not going to be as good this year, by the way. Breaking news, losing Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter makes you not as good. You just encapsulate exactly what I had written down about Vanderbilt. I watched a bit of the Saturday game, and it actually a decent bit of Vanderbilt Sunday game on my laptop. I was actually more impressed with Oklahoma State, but like like you just said, very well said, it's almost like there's going to be a drop-off when you don't have Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter as your one and two, no matter how talented the do, other kid is. Do you know who had the best weekend? Um, and I was, I was happy to see this. Do you know who had the best weekend in, in the SEC? Off the top of my head, no. Auburn. They, they went to Texas and beat Texas Tech and Kansas State, um, a ranked Texas oh, Tech did. team. 
um, and, and lost a tough game on Friday to Oklahoma um, after having a really bad year last year. So, um, you know, obviously early, but, but Butch probably has them, you know, before last year happened, uh, they, that was a program that was really, really good. And they, they were hit with some injuries last year, lost a ton of one-run games. Um, Butch Thompson's a really good coach, so Auburn will probably be pretty good again this year. Yeah, see, and like on paper, if I'd have made you – I forgot to do like preseason projections or picks, but like wouldn't you have guessed they would probably, depending on what A&M actually became, they were going to be sixth or seventh in the West? Like that's uh, – to me, that's a small – a small indicator of just how big of a bear the West could be. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the West is, as always, a, a nightmare. I mean, <laughs> Alabama gets a sweep over Xavier to start the year. I mean, um, so, yeah, it's uh, – I, I think Auburn's probably figured it out. There's not going to be that give-me sweep that, that you kind of had over them last year. So, um, you know, it's uh, – the West is a bear, man. Ole Miss is a little bit lucky this year, and their East schedule is not great. Um, but, you know – it, the the West uh, it'll it'll challenge you week in and week out that's for sure. Um, the Florida Gators lost to the Liberty Flames two out of three. I believe that series was in Gainesville. Ooh. You didn't. You weren't going to get a Hugh Freeze joke in. I, I was. I thought about one, but I couldn't necessarily get one. I'm sure uh, he here, probably I'll, worked I'll with the baseball there. team this weekend. It sounds like Hugh Freeze and Kevin O'Sullivan have similar interests. Oh Ooh. God, Brian. <laughs> Brian. Okay, that could mean a lot of things. I'll leave it at that. Uh. Yeah, um, I, we I, we can't get much farther. I mean, we're gonna sue for libel. Um, anyways, yeah, it's a weird weekend for Florida, especially after how they kind of ended last year with uh, you know O'Sullivan doing his deal with LSU and um, going zero and two in a regional, and now you drop the series to Liberty. It's you know what the hell's up with Florida? Um, you know, pretty pretty outside of that and what happened in Starkville, uh, pretty non surprising. Uh, start around the league. Um, I did not expect State to drop that series, although Long Beach is a good team now. Um, but you know, um, yeah, it's a, it, it was it pretty went pretty much outside of the uh, Florida result. Kind of went chalk outside of well, Florida and State. Uh, yeah, I thought so too. Like I was just looking. D one does their like how the top twenty five pair. The only other weird one was uh, uh, ECU got swept by Bryant. Uh, that's a tough. Oh my God, did you did you yeah, see how the did Saturday you happened on Saturday? Oh my God! Do you think I, Cliff handled that well? Uh, no, I I don't see him as. Remember, he we're talking about Cliff, who gets uh, I believe a couple years ago when they did their Mississippi swing, he got tossed in Starkville uh, the day before he came to Oxford, and that kid almost threw a perfect game. Uh, no, I don't think he was probably uh, thrilled about that, and I don't think he reacted by giving the umpire a hug or anyone around him a hug. Uh, what the? I've never seen that before. Like, I don't even really know how to react. When I was watching it on video, I was like, okay, where's this going? Are they just gonna, this is going to be a late foul call, I guess. And then I was like, oh, no, it was not. Like, what? I don't even know what to say. For those of you that may not have seen it, uh, ECU down a run, I believe, in the night. Kid hits a ball over the fence with a guy on base, walk off home run, going down the right field line. Like, I guess you could maybe make an argument, like, without seeing it closely, maybe it could have been called foul. I don't really know. But it turns out after the kid crosses home plate, after they do the celebration, it is determined the first base umpire has given time. Is that did I have that right? Not even the home plate guy. That is accurate. That is one hundred percent what happened. I, I didn't even know how to dive in. Like how does how does that work? Like how, how is well, that? Well, so it's it's tough. Um, if you look at the replay, he clearly calls time. The Bryant coach clearly recognizes that he called time. 
So when you, when the replay is, you know, going and the guy has time up at, before the pitcher is even in his motion, it's like it, it called time. I don't know why, um, but he did. And and I know it sucks for ECU, but they got the call right. Um, they did. That was my takeaway, too. It's like, okay, like this definitely happened, but I just – it's so bizarre to see the first base umpire grant that and then that be the case. And then for them not to figure it out, why does the first base umpire not stop the dude after yeah, – you got to stop. Like, sorry, I called yeah, no. Tom. They yeah. let him the celebration and everything. Well, what here's what happened, in my opinion. He didn't want to have to call it until the Bryant coach realized it or the Bryant coach called him out on it. Like he was going to shrug it off and walk off the field, but the Bryant coach, I think, called him on it and he realized, yeah, this is probably going to be on camera. I got to do something about it. <laughs> okay, my theory was is maybe he heard Cliff yelling in the dugout and I was like, look, if we wait and we all gather, someone else will deliver the news to that meathead. <laughs> <laughs> that was rude. I like Cliff Godwin, not meathead. He's just very fit. I wouldn't want to fight Cliff Godwin is the way I, I meant it. No, 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 no. That's that he is not high on my people. I won't fight list. No, I would interviewed him one time and I was like, this guy could probably crush my recorder with his bicep. Who, who, who would you rather have to fight, Mike or Cliff? Oh, Mike, he's old and he waddles around. Like he would yell at me. So, so all right, all right, all right, hold on. 15 years ago, Mike or Cliff? I mean, until I get some bench press numbers on five, I'm still probably going Cliff. Uh, excuse me, going Mike. I don't want to fight Cliff. Until I get some numbers on Mike's squad and maybe some curls, I still would rather fight him than Cliff. It's true. That's true. Okay, fair enough. Um, elsewhere, I think that was about it. You mentioned the state part of it. Look, Long Beach State's good. What does they do with all those West Coast teams always being able to pitch it but not necessarily being electric offensively? I know they scored 13 runs on Saturday, but like to me, that, that looked like they're, they're going to pitch the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean – I watched most of the state game on Saturday because it, or on Friday, excuse me, because it started uh, at two o'clock. Um, Landon Sims was really good, really, really good. Um, but yeah, I mean that the Long Beach kids on Friday and Saturday were able to pitch it really well. Uh, state wasn't very good offensively, and and uh, you know this it resulted in two losses. State will be fine. Um, if you're an Ole Miss fan listening, that's hoping that Mississippi State's going to suck. They're not. They're going to be a national seed or a top 10 seed. Um, so, you know, um, kind of bad weekend for them. But that I don't – I wouldn't make too much out of it at all. They'll, they'll be fine. But, yeah, Long Beach is a team to be reckoned with this year. Um, that, that is for sure. Yeah, my th- I'm, I agree with you on all counts there. If you made me, like, of the two issues they had, like main issues they had this weekend, which one would actually be cause for concern, I think State is going to hit. If they did end up struggling and not meeting their ceiling, they did kind of show that – after Sims and a couple of the other bullpen guys struggled to get some of those hitters for Long Beach State out. Like, if you looked at me at the end of the year and was like, oh, State didn't meet expectations, it's probably because of the arms after Sims and kind of in that bullpen, too, because I do think they'll hit. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll hit. Um, man, Sims is – I don't know if you got to watch any of that. It is, is absurd. Yeah. He – if I am taking – if I have the first pick in the draft, I, I consider that. I don't know how old he is. That would play into it some, but good God. He he throws a high spin rate fastball that is damn near untouchable. I couldn't remember if I was talking to you about this with you or Chase where we were like, okay, like he was incredible as a closer, but can you do that for five innings? Did any of that look much different than how he pitched as a no. closer other than just being gassed up? That, that thing was there to – I mean, everything in his arsenal was there to stay for six innings. Yeah, no, it, I mean – he came out after the seventh, 
Um, and he'd given up a ball that barely got over the fence. Um, but he absolutely dominated a Long Beach team that, that put up 13 runs the next day. It was, uh, it was certainly impressive. I think we covered everything around the SEC. The one thing I just had written down before we get out of here that, look, we covered some of the Ole Miss offensive stuff. Like, what can you say? I just had some general notes. Uh, it's good to see Tim Elko, like, healthy again. I think I, I was joking on Twitter on Saturday. Like, it makes for a more visually appealing experience on his home run shot that he doesn't have to, you know, make sure he's not going to further injure the already, like, ruptured ACL when he rounds a base. But yeah. I mean, the guy hit two tanks and looked every bit as good as advertised. I do think he will terrorize SEC pitching once again this year. I so, uh, Knock on wood, if there's anything just in this world, just for his sake, he gets a fully healthy 56-game season. I am actually very much looking forward to seeing how ridiculous his numbers get. So he made a play today at first base where, I don't know if you remember it, oh, Drew, yeah. McDaniel, Drew McDaniel dove. Um, to try to cut the ball off, and then Elko had to pick it up and dive towards first base. I would like Tim Elko to, at no point in the future, dive with his hand to first base. He you can be safe. There. <laughs> do you he think can Mike be was safe. Like, hey, buddy, we can I score some more runs. Let's not. Let's not do that. Yeah. Like, I, I sent a message in my group, man. I was like, the next time Tim Elko thinks he should dive at, at first base, maybe he should consider not doing that. Like, just let the kid run through. But I get it. I'm being a little bit. Hyperbolic, but like, or hyperbolic, but like, please don't get hurt because, like, that's the only thing I need this year is to make sure he gets through 56 games because I need to see, I need to see that cat. He's, Brian, he's going to hit 20 home runs. Like, I would be shocked if he doesn't eclipse 20 home runs. I mean, the guy, I know it's three games, but the guy has what, 12 total at bats this weekend? He has three yeah. hits. He walks twice. He gets hit by a pitch, and he only strikes out once, and he put two over the fence. Like, what? what a, he hit a ball like, on Friday night with not much behind it, like pretty much all arms to the opposite field about 375 feet on a cold night. It's – it's. do you know what – And then he hit a ball on Saturday, though. I swear to God, I had landed. <laughs> Do you know what his OPS is after three games? It's like 1,400, isn't it? It is 1,500. I shorted him. <laughs> Again, we're talking nine at-bats here, but it's just, it's just funny to look at that on a box score. Um, do you know what like, I would do if I, – I, this, this doesn't make like saber sense and math sense, but do you know why I, what, I, what I would do with, with him in the order? Or do you know where I'd put him? I'd lead him off because screw you. I don't have a reason. I don't. But like coming out of the gate, that's what you're gonna face to lead off the game. I don't I don't have a like mathematical reason behind it, but just screw you. I'm gonna put him one. And if you wanna get, you know, get loose and throw your fastball down the middle, he's gonna hit it four hundred and eighty six feet. I don't hate that idea at all. I think that's uh that talk about just kind of first guy off the bust energy. Like this this is what you're dealing with today. It is way too early for us to get into lineup gripes. But <laughs> I did not yell about the lineup once this weekend. Well, that's what I was getting to. I know that you didn't mean that with Elko, but he led Shad off twice. He put bench at the leadoff spot <laughs> once. Um and then Shad fifth, I think, in that Saturday game. I I'll just pose it to you this way. Is there anything that like he did to you that stuck out? There may be nothing. I didn't really have anything else either. Um, but like, is there anything that stuck out from a lineup construction standpoint? Um, so I think he, he said somewhere that he comes up with his lineups on Thursdays. Um, like before the opening weekend, he, he has three lineups and he doesn't really deviate that from them. 
Um, it was interesting to me that Ben Van Cleve got two starts, and, and credit to Ben Van Cleve, he played well in those two games. Um, that tells me that they have seen something through inner squads that they really think he's going to be a contributor on this team. Um, and and to his credit, he played well this weekend. So um, happy for him, and, and and I think he's going to be a guy that almost tries to get as many at-bats as possible. The most interactive mailbag question I got with in terms of like – I mean, this is like hollow, but like Twitter likes or whatever was – a uh, buddy of mine who listens to the show regularly, Brent Ferguson, asked over under Ben Van Cleve uh, 0.5 home runs this year. And I said over. He almost he had it today. He, almost, he was that close. Oh, his, that ball was zooted. And it, it went straight over the foul pole, and the TV guys were like, oh, it's that close. I'm like, how can y'all tell? How, how is that not fair? Like, I, I don't know either. No, way. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. Okay, but, yeah, foul? It, yeah, it was foul, but it was really close. Um, Just kind of keep it going down. Ed, I was surprised to see. Kevin Graham strike out four times in a game. Not that that means anything at all, but like he's usually pretty good to contact. Um, he is, but if you remember, he he the past two years has started out slow. Yes, he has. Uh, remember the conversation we talked about how much changes throughout the course of a season. Remember the conversation? I can't remember if it was last year or twenty. Was can this guy play every day? Uh, a left-handed pitching conversation. And now, I mean, in May of twenty twenty or twenty twenty-one, how stupid would that have sounded? <laughs> yeah. But, but he's a guy that – and some guys are just like this. He started out slow. And, uh, you know, hopefully – and I'm sure it will. There's zero reason to worry about Kevin Graham. My God, he hit a ball 480 feet today. Yeah, um, I think you sandwiched in multi-hit games in the other two games. It was the Saturday. It was almost the uh, golden sombrero. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a tough weekend for him, I guess, from what, he, what we're used to. But uh, he is going to be absolutely fine. We hit McCants at the top, but it was just another note I had written down. The way he takes the ball and shoots it, like he does it ever look like he forces anything? The way he no. pushes the baseball to the opposite field is very impressive to me. And he had that as a freshman, which you don't really see a lot, right? Particularly the with ball Dallas, just, they're trying to it reel just, it, like yank it and like will it over to one side because that's kind of what they've been able to get away with in high school. He just to me looks like a very complete hitter and it comes very easy with. I enjoy watching his swing. The ball jumps off his bat. It does. Like I don't, I don't know how to describe that or quantify it, but it flies off his bat. He hit a ball today that was mauled um, and almost got out. I mean, he's got really, really easy power for a guy um, that, that that's not, you know, the bulkiest in the world. But he's got really, really easy and raw power. And all he's done is hit since he showed up on. Yes, game. that's why he played last year. Well, I kind of respect it. I was listening to uh, Clem uh, on Ben's podcast, and it was he. He said that you know with with Chatney and McCants, he they basically told him, "Hey, you guys strike out too much compared to you know how much you walk. So one of two things have to happen: you've got to you know walk more, you got to hit more balls out of the yards." And apparently, McCants was like, "I'll just hit more home runs." I love that answer. I hope he sat there like over the desk and they're like, "Look, this is what we're doing." And he was like. Cool. I'll hit more home runs. Is this meeting over? <laughs> <laughs> I'll hit the ball out of the yard more. Thanks. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to get to for I know we wanted to hit this, some Juwan Howard shit at the very end. Chase had a note. I think they had media op either Thursday or Friday. And Chase had a story that ran Friday morning. I think it was more notebookish, but it led with a lot of Gonzalez stuff. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Did you see where he said we're tweaking, tinkering with my swing a little bit. The coaching staff wants me to get the ball up in the air more. Yeah, um, you're a coach. 
Like, so I'll so, defer to you on this, but the guy that was a freshman All-American with 1,100 OPS, don't you let yeah. him do whatever he wants until he stops so, it? I got a text message on Friday when that came out, and the it was somebody we both know that, that really follows Ole Miss. Uh, the text message just captioned was that, that quote, like, highlighted uh, a picture of it with, oh, my God, we're effing with Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that was kind of what, what my thought was. Look, I don't know the content of the question because they don't post, like, the interviews on like they do with that. So it may have been, like, hey, what are you working on? And, of course, they're always working on every dude with, like, something, right? Like, small. But, like, the way it was presented, and it's not the chase thing at all. The kid clearly said it. But, like, when he was like, yeah, they're tinkering in my swing. They tell me I'm better when I get the ball up in the air more. I'm like, I'm letting that kid do whatever he wants. I'm probably not even talking to him. If I could – only thing that kid's him, not allowed to do is what I would do. Like yeah, like the only thing we're not teaching that, or the only thing that kid is not allowed to do is bunt. That's it. Like he can't do that. Yes. Like <laughs> we did have a sack bunt this weekend. What did you make of that? Oh, God. Um. Whatever. Like I didn't care because it was Charleston Southern. If if those jerseys had read like Alabama or something, I probably would have thrown a fit. Do you think it's like a pregnant mom who is a smoker and knows she can't smoke during pregnancy, but she's like. Uh, it's only two months in. Like, I won't get a weird look if I sneak a cig real quick. I'm not showing you. Think well, he was so good about not doing it last year, except for the really bad time that he did it. <laughs> and then the one time he didn't do it, people got mad in the LSU. But like, I was just like, it's two to one against Charleston Southern. What? He bunted McCants. What is he doing? We're not allowed. Look, I'll set a rule. Like, no one's allowed on this podcast to get upset about uh, Mike's decision-making until March. Now, we can amend that. That's not really – the rule. The only rule we have on this podcast, there are no rules. I would just throw that out there as a proposed rule, but I just found that funny. I was like, oh, he's just teasing everyone. And maybe McCants was doing it for a hit. I don't know, but I, I prefer McCants swing away. Yeah, because it was the classic small ball. He bunted him, the guy got to third, and the guy scored on a ground out. It's like, hell yeah, job done. Like, whatever. <laughs> Oh. Are we playing for one against Charleston Southern on the Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, hey, hey, that goes back to our theory. Mike didn't want a big inning because he needed to get his bullpen arms in. There we go. Figured it out. Boom. There we go. I actually don't hate that theory. You you were on it before we even discussed it. Last old Miss note, uh, it looked like – it sounded like Dunhurst tweaked a hamstring on Saturday, but I saw Mike said after the game, the latest he'll be back in the lineup – is Friday. They don't think it'll be an issue. That sounded like an out of abundance of caution thing. And the fact that you have a Calvin Harris. Yeah. If there's anyone on that team that does not need defensive reps at their position, it is uh, quite literally Hayden Dunhurst. So, yeah, just make, weekend like, after quite the long off season. Yeah. Let's just make sure he's a hundred percent before he goes, before he goes back in, um, you know, so if you want to put him at D eight, some, whatever, but he, uh, he's got to be a hundred percent because he does not need to practice. Completely agree. Last thing before I let you go, we talk, you talked about this right before we started recording. I was having a nice leisurely Sunday. I was thinking about going on a walk right uh, during the seventh inning or so. And then all of a sudden, I look up and it's 45 minutes later because I've glued to my phone with Jawan Howard content. That is not how I thought I'd, my Sunday would go. Oh, what the hell? He, he hit a coach. He has to be fired, right? He Yes, but he won't. And I don't even mean that. I saw some, you know, Clay Travis's of the world doing that, you know, the Clay Travis thing and making it political and almost racial. I don't even mean that in that sense. I don't think he will be fired. Um, just because, like, 
I don't know. To me, in any job, benefit of the doubt. I know they're not having a great season. But like, Jawan Howard has not been like a Penny Hardaway, I would say, or something. Like, I don't no. any example. A Kermit Davis. Like, if Kermit Davis, where you're viewing his job and you're like, did oh, he's gone tomorrow. Yeah, he's down tomorrow. I think Jawan Howard still has enough capital, I guess, to where he'll be fine. He, I think he should be suspended the rest of the year. But to your point, that was my first reaction. I was like, he's done. This is a fireable offense. I think they will find a way not to do it. But I wouldn't call it over the top if we found out later on that he is fired because of this. That was remarkable and not in a good way. Like, I'd never seen something like that. Yeah, I, that was – People are trying to do that. That wasn't a punch. Okay. Like, yeah, he slapped it. Whatever. Like, we're, we're arguing semantics at that point. He swore um, at the coach. He clearly tried to strike the guy um, and did. So, I, I just – wow. Um, I've never seen that. I, I really hope I don't ever see it again. That was, that was embarrassing. Um, and if you're Michigan, anything short of sus- – I, I would fire him. But anything short of suspending him for the year – uh, is is really underdoing it to me. Yeah, my me too. Like, I try not to do, like, the pearl clutchy thing, and I don't pretend to be shocked by a ton of stuff in college athletics or really just sports in general. But when I saw that, I was – like, I was kind of, like, dumbfounded. I was like, I've never seen anything like this. I cannot believe that happened. Uh, when they – so, I didn't – clearly, I didn't see it live. I was out watching Michigan-Wisconsin. But when the first person that tweeted the video or the first one that went viral – I was watching it. I was like, oh, they got a little chippy in the handshake line. Maybe I can yeah. do some lip reading like we get a little F you off. I was not – I didn't think it was going to take the turn that it did. I did not go into that video being like, oh, he's going to hit him. Like, because they didn't put that in the caption either. So, once he threw the swing, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> kind of takes you aback. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that was that was something. I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the, the Rebels uh, – Look, I, I, I was pretty hard on Kermit Davis last week, and I think most of it was fair. But for whatever reason, even as hard as he is on those kids, they play hard. They're not very good, but they do play hard. Um, so credit to them for going to Athens and winning on Saturday. Absolutely. Um, look, like you mentioned, there's been a weird thing about that with Kermit to where, like, we talk about him throwing his players under the bus, like, and he's very candid, almost to a fault in interviews. Those kids don't quit on him and have yet to do that. Like, I remember one time they had had a really bad loss in Brian's senior year after they made the tournament when it wasn't going very well. And Brian, who during some of the end of the AK stuff, I don't want to say like the kid had an attitude problem because I don't, I, like, I don't feel comfortable saying that because I don't know the inner workings. But Brian was, had had a history of maybe checking out when things were really bad. I think he kind of tuned AK out a little bit. And things were going really terrible. And he had, Kermit had just had one of those press conferences where he was talking about how terrible the team played. And then he had a note walking off that next Tuesday before the next game about he and Brian sat in his office and talked about life for like two hours and just like, hey, relax and go play. And then I don't know if you'll remember, I don't know why anyone would remember that year. Brian went on that tear where he had like 30 a game for five games and they were actually a win away in Rupp in early February from like actually. Yeah, they got to where we were talking about the tournament. Yeah, exactly. So we are like, hey, if you win this game, you have like an actual real conversation about this remarkable turnaround. And that came right before that happened. And so I don't know what like the inner workings of his relationship with his players are. 
But as public facing, like it may look bad sometimes, those guys still like him. And it's clear, right? Because they went on the road with 10 available guys, Jarkel Joyner not being one of them, Matthew Morrell being compromised. I'd be lying if I told you I watched a second of this game. I didn't watch a second, yeah. Golf course was calling. But, like, good for them, man. Like, I know George. Look, Georgia. They had the thing come out where they might fire Crane for cause because did you see two of his assistants beat each other up and he didn't report it? What? Yeah, two of his assistants. I say beat each other up. Physical altercation. It felt very. How can we fire this guy with cause? If you're picking up what I'm putting down, like how can we? I, so, so I'm, real quick on that. I'm sort of starting to respect these schools. They're like, we're not paying the buyout. Because these buyouts are getting out of control. Yeah. So I kind of respect it, but they're also the ones entering into the contract. But that's just the way business is conducted, right? So I do kind of respect the loophole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> like we're going we're gonna to reach a middle ground here. They're a disaster, but, I mean, this version of this Ole Miss team beating anyone by double digits on the road or how winning a road game, I, I don't know. winning. Sisters of the poor. Like, congrats to them. That's shorthanded. They haven't quit. And if, if there's nothing else nice you can say about this basketball team, they have not folded. No, no, and that is a credit to Kermit Davis, um, and and probably enough to get him get him another year. But you know, um, I'm I'm not gonna be on Kermit today. That that was that was an impressive win. His kids are playing hard, especially when you consider that Morell and and uh, Joyner were not available. Um, they play hard, and, and they were able to get a get a needed win for 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 a confidence standpoint. So um, happy for them, happy for those kids. They 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 do play hard, and and they they deserve to to win the game yesterday. He is Colin Brister, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent. This was a ton of fun, dude. I'm glad these Sundays are back. I'm glad college baseball is back. I'm looking forward to uh, 14, 15 more of them, maybe 20 if they make Omaha. That sounds good, my man. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, looking forward to a, uh, another fun ride during baseball season with Colin for a team that uh, should be pretty good. Lots of interesting storylines around this group, and uh, I'm – uh, fascinated to watch it play out. So thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you making us a uh, early part of your week. Before we do a podcast again, I will have a story out on rebelgrove.com um, that I think will be worth your time. Was originally going to run Monday, but uh, was cleaning some things up and uh, I'm going to run it on Tuesday about a certain Ole Miss football assistant and uh, kind of an off-field battle he and his family went through um, that I think is really remarkable and I think will be worth your time. So be on the lookout for that, rebelgrove.com, probably dropping Tuesday morning, and then we'll be back with uh, some midweek pods. And then, of course, Mailbag Friday. You'll have a great start to your week.